Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So tonight, uh, what we're going to be talking about is going to be called Be Fruitful and Multiply. Be Fruitful and Multiply. Now, why I'm going here is because I believe that one of the greatest tragedies that occurs in the churches today and what goes on with a lot of ministry is the very fact that they want to be fruitful or they don't want to be fruitful or multiply. And then many people in this time, when it comes to dealing with this, will find a way to, you know, be fruitful in their own ways and not the ways in accordance with the Bible. What I mean by that is you'll have a lot of people that will even preach a soft soap false gospel just to draw in the masses. And some people would think that's being fruitful. But you got to really ask yourself, are you fruitful? Are you fruitful in the eyes of God? Or are you fruitful in the eyes of men? So you see, a lot of people have tried to achieve this goal, but not, not by the means of the Holy Spirit and preaching the proper gospel that people may grow, but making people handicapped to do their will and rely upon them. This is what, this is a great tragedy that's going on in the churches, you know, and all this stuff carrying on. Because when you look at being fruitful, you know, and if you were to take it the way that a lot of people who are uh, false pastors are, what they'll do is, is make people rely on them. And then when that pastor leaves, those people can't stand on their own. I believe that any ministry, especially the ministry of Jesus Christ, is supposed to teach people how to be able to do what Jesus did. Not just come and hear sermons every week, not just listen to people talk and then just say, oh man, that was a great message. What you want are people that can become fruitful and learn themselves and be able to go out and teach the gospel to other people. It's a great um, tragedy, again, like I said, because if you even look at, what do you think is more productive? giving someone a fish every day or teaching someone how to fish? What's that? Right. When you teach someone how to fish, that means whether you're with them or not, they're going to be productive. But you see, the devil has destroyed a lot of churches and a lot of ministries because once he wipes out the pastor, there's nobody in line next to go up and take that spot and to go forward with what God says. And that's why we've got to be whole. That's why when you found that Stephen died, they just kept right on rolling. When the apostles ended up all being killed, the original 12, they just kept on going. Why? Because they were being fruitful, multiplied, replenishing the earth and subduing it. And we're going to find that even though that was one of the first commandments that God ever gave to man, you're going to find that that has never been recanted. God had never taken that back. That's something that he always meant to be. So tonight, we're going to compare the scriptures that talk about being fruitful and multiplying. And then we're going to also talk about how that relates to the gospel, because it really is sad when people don't think that there's anything that they need to do for the Lord. 
That's a tragedy, man. That's a serious mistake. They need the living God to be able to do the Lord's will, but we must learn to be productive, okay? We must learn how to be fruitful. Now, I believe that the best way that you can take this is to look at the four rivers of the Garden of Eden. It's amazing how they were right there in the garden in the beginning. When the Bible describes it, it makes clear that there was a river that led into the garden, and there were four rivers that branched out from the garden. Now, you guys remember the first, um, the first river was called Pison. That means increase. That's what the Lord wants us to be able to have have the spirit. You know, a lot of people have downplayed the baptism in the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have downplayed knowing the Lord, you know, and drawing closer to him to where he can inhabit us. In doing so, you found the church becoming very unfruitful and not multiplying like God wants us to. So that first river is Pison. That means increase. The second river of the Garden of Eden is Jehan, which means what? Bursting forth. So God doesn't just want us to have an increase. He wants to get us to the place of bursting forth. He wants Jesus Christ so far up in you that, man, you just overwhelmed by his love and his, and his spirit that you can burst forth. Now, we know that if you were to take any cup and put it on the table and you pour water into it, when it bursts forth, the water is not going to just stay right around the cup or stay at the brim eventually it's going to lap over and it's going to spill out onto the table. Well, that's the same way when we're bursting forth that we ought to be concerning the Lord. That's why the third river, which is Hedekel, is about, you know, um, dashing or rapid or darting towards your purpose. Usually when you're bursting forth, you will be driven by the spirit of God to go and find your purpose. The Holy Ghost is gonna stir your nest. Now that you're full, now that you're willing to go forward, now that you're not just happy with what you have and you desire more of me, I'm going to lead you into the place of knowing others that they may actually know who I am. Okay, so it's a continuous process. And lastly, once you are dadding or, dashing or, or darting or dashing towards your purpose or walking in it, then the last river is Euphrates, which means fruitfulness. So you see, it's always been in God's plan concerning his creation that we should become fruitful. We must know what that is about because you know anything outside of fruitfulness is really a dead work. Now, I'm not saying that God wouldn't allow us to grow and go through the process, absolutely. He breaks up fallow ground, he plants seeds, he waters them, but you know, he doesn't water them with the expectation that they will remain in the ground. He waters them because he's expecting them to grow and eventually to bear fruit. So I think that in many cases, it's, it's something that I think we should do, even as a ministry, what I have found studying the body of Christ in the church from the beginning of its birth of Pentecost is that every generation looked forward to the next generation growing and learning and getting full so that they could carry on the work when they're gone. That's one thing. I'm not giving credit to the devil, but that's one thing you understand about his minions and the devil's people is that they will wait years, centuries, millennia to be able to see their agenda brought forth. It doesn't even matter if some of these people live or die. They just got their agenda that they just want to see Satan's kingdom come to pass. 
And you don't know how many times they argue about taking God and prayer out of schools. That didn't begin in 1962. That was all the way back in the 1800s. They were trying to set, um, separate church and state. Eventually, they got enough support, got enough people headed towards their agenda where it began to happen while the church just sat there and watched. You know, and there was a time, like I said, when that man in the pulpit, when he spoke, he carried great weight. There was a time that that politician, I don't care if he was a president, he couldn't just say what he wanted to say on TV without that, without checking with that man in the pulpit to see, I wonder if we're going to get some backlash. Well, you see, this is this is what's happened is the church has become so much like the world that people can't tell the difference. And this is why God wants us to be a separate people, a peculiar people, a holy priesthood, those that are dedicated to the will of Christ. Because I think it's also been sold on us as Christians that to go out the way that Jesus did in the world standards, that's considered failure. To the carnal worldly mind, that is failure. I should be rich. I should have a fruitful marriage. I should have a fruitful family. I should have tons of money in the bank. But then again, that's not what Jesus did. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what I just named. But what I'm making clear is these things have stunted the growth of a lot of Christians because they have not placed Jesus Christ first. When he becomes first, then he can spill out whatever he wants to give and distribute and you will remain fruitful. But when you put the world first, then man, there's no water on those seeds. So they can't grow. And this is not by accident. This is what the devil did. What makes him a worthy adversary of the people of God is the fact that he was kicked out of heaven. So he knows what it takes to be there. And you see, he's going to push whatever he can push on the church to not have it become what God always meant for it to be, just an extension of himself. That's why we've got to take the enemy seriously because he knows that God hates pride. He saw it firsthand. He knows that God hates wills outside of the original will, which, which was to glorify God. We were made in God's image and his likeness to do one thing, to glorify him. And when he told them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, he told them that because he knew that they were already good. They were good. There was nothing else that they needed because they were made in his image and likeness. They did not lack. So you see, from there, he could tell them to move. But since the fall, you know, we've had, as we talked about last week, the redemption of Jesus Christ come forward to restore that which was lost. So that way we could get to the place of being fruitful, just like Jesus was. You see, but even Jesus, when he put it on the flesh, he had to subdue this flesh in order to be fruitful. That's something we got to think about, because I got a teaching coming up that the servant is not above his Lord. But in many ways, if you examine the church today, we may not say it outright, but many of us believe we are because we don't think it's necessary that we walk as he walked, that we think that we can reap the benefits of the gifts and all the things concerning the fruitfulness of the spirit without the benefit of deep consecration and sanctification concerning Christ. When Jesus became 30 years of age, the spirit, um, he got baptized, the spirit fell on him and the spirit didn't lead him right to work. The spirit took him into the wilderness to subdue the flesh for 40 days. I'm not saying you gotta fast for 40 days. I'm talking about the seriousness 
of what it is to get in the flesh so that Jesus could eventually return in the power of the spirit. Now you would have to ask yourself, if he's the son of God, why didn't he just run out there and just do it? Because after all, the father was with him, but he took the proper steps in knowing I'm here in the flesh. And if this is the devil's realm, he's going to use that flesh to keep me from being fruitful. He did in everything that had to do with fallen man that he could reap the full benefit of what God gave him. I think in many ways, it's a great thing that we hold Jesus above everything and we see his greatness and his glory. But don't think for one second that God did not mean for us to be as fruitful as Jesus Christ is because he says that um, it is sufficient that you be as your master, not, not greater than he, but as your master. So we've got a lot to look forward to. So this is what we're gonna be talking about tonight concerning being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth. Thank you, Jesus. So let's pray and we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day, another day not promised to us. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, we come before you at this hour, Lord, not seeking our own power, not seeking our own glory, not seeking our own way, Lord, but only that the Holy Ghost, which is the spirit of teaching that would bring us into all truth and righteousness. We pray, Lord, that his presence becomes strong right now. We pray that he teaches this lesson. We place no confidence in the flesh, Lord, and we pray that no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, Lord, that people may see the truth and choose life and not death. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, all Antichrist spirits, all Jezebel spirits, all Ahab spirits, all spirits that go against the living God. I pray, Lord, that you bind the devil, that you trot him underfoot, that you keep him in his place, that your people may hear your word. May you open the eyes, the ears, the hearts, and the minds that we may pursue you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into this lesson. Let's go to uh, Psalm chapter one. Let's begin with the Psalm. Psalm one, we're gonna begin at verse one. What's that? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, Sarah, Sarah in the Psalms. Yeah. All right, this is Psalm one. Let's look at verse one. And it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So we understand that that man is blessed when he is separated from the ungodly, from the uh, standing in the way of the sinners or walking in their ways. Or he says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So he makes clear that a man of the Lord is going to be just like the trees that are planted by the river. Who is that river? That's God, right? That's Jesus Christ concerning us that that's that source of life. So anyone that wants to be blessed of the Lord has got to stay connected to the Lord, okay? Because you ever find that some of the biggest trees are right by the river. You ever see how wide they get and how tall they grow? It's like, man, but, you know, that's a direct pipeline to God. So he says, not only will he be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, but he will bring forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Well, I can, um, you know, humbly say that everything that I have done since knowing the Lord, not everything has prospered, okay? There's been a lot of upsets in my life. There's been a lot of places where I started out fruitful and disconnected from him and found myself doing things under my own power. So this is important that we must understand to be fruitful, we must stay connected. And you know, Jesus talks about this in John 15. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And you are, um, what did he say? Those who stay, well, aside from him, we could do absolutely nothing. So that's something that we must keep in mind concerning him. So it says, whatsoever this person will do will prosper if they stay with the Lord. He says, the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So as you can, as you can see, there's only two kinds of people. There's godly and there's ungodly. Some will stay planted by the river, which is God, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And you got others that will blow around just like the chaff, doing the things that they want to do. And he says they won't be productive. Why? Because they're not rooted and grounded in the Lord. So this is just an indicator to show us if we ever really mean to be fruitful, instead of going horizontally, which we tend to do, which religion tends to take us from time to time, we've got to go vertically up to God and draw close to him. And then we can meet our brothers and sisters on the horizontal. There are too many times, and I, I, I speak from experience in my life, where I've gone horizontally only to see nothing play out. But you've got to go vertical because Leonard Ravenhill made a great point that there's people that don't even know God that can transform their lives. People go to AA programs, Alcoholics Anonymous. They'll go into all these things. They'll be you know, big and out of shape and go to the gym and start eating right and getting self-help books and all that. And, you know, they can feel great about themselves, but you know what? They're still dead. They're dead because they've never made it vertically up to Jesus Christ, where man and Christ can become one. And I think that's something that's a great tragedy, even in, in a lot of religion and churches, is because we come to hear the pastor. We come to hear everything that he offers. We enjoy being in that atmosphere but are we still focusing towards drawing closer to the Lord? I've seen people leave churches because the pastor is no longer there. My thing is, were you there for him? 
or were you there to get what you could get from Christ? Because you see, when you get to the place of growing and becoming fruitful, you're not concerned about who's not going to be there. Your concern is, I need to go here and get what I need from me so that Christ and I can be one, so that I can be a minister for Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 4 real quick. Ephesians 4, and let's look at verse 11. If anybody has anything they want to add, questions or anything or something you can teach me, feel free to speak. This is a this is an institute of learning. This is an atmosphere for learning. I need to learn just like anybody else. You know, only one without error that ever walked this earth was Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know, Apostle Sam. The Lord may be trying to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> so look at Ephesians 4. Let's look at verse 11. That's right. That's right. Amen. Ephesians 4, look at verse 11. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what we understand that, you know, God gave five fold ministry, five offices to do what? To perfect the saints, to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. This is why, you know, if churches want to be fruitful, we got to hold up under the fivefold ministry. We've got to see the areas that God wants us to walk in. But see, these guys are not meant to take glory for themselves. The true ministry is only meant to push people in the ways of Christ, that they may find their calling in Christ. But so if you look at apostles, we like to um, look at this in terms of the five G's. What do apostles do? Anybody remember? Go ahead, sir. You don't remember? All right. Apostles, uh, they govern, okay? They go to churches, they build churches, they do the things that God wants them to do, okay? that usually an apostle will go to a place and he sees something wrong, he'll come in and speak and he don't need permission. So Paul, Paul was an apostle, you know, because, and Peter and the guys, because they built churches. They went out, they told churches where they were wrong. They said to set up elders in every city or wherever you go. And that's how he intended for them to work. So apostles govern. What do prophets do? Remember? Jeez, Sarah. <laughs> Apostles, uh, they, I mean, prophets, they guide, okay? They hear directly from the Lord and they tell the people of the warnings of the Lord or what the Lord wants them to do outright, okay? When you look at evangelists, evangelists what? Give. They all give. They, they gather, absolutely. So, you know, the, um, the evangelists gather and they go out. They win souls, and that's what they enjoy to do. They go to areas, they blow in, blow up, and blow out. Once they've done their job, they go to the next city and deal with that. So evangelists are very, to me, it's the most important position in the fivefold ministry because Jesus came to win souls. Okay, so every single office really walks in that um, in evangelism because that's the main goal is to go after the soul. So what about... Uh, Pastors, no. <laughs> Pastors guard, okay? They're like shepherds. They guard the flock. They protect the flock. 
They stay with the flock until the flock is able to grow and move on. Now, you guys remember, now you're ready for the last one. What about teachers? Teachers ground. They ground you in the word of God. Why? So that it can become a part of you that you may teach others. So, you know, apostles, they they um, govern. You got prophets. They guide. You got evangelists. They gather. You got uh, pastors. They uh, guard. And you got teachers that ground. Okay, so these are all necessary in the fivefold ministry. There are times when I said something wrong or I didn't do something a certain way. I have one of my brethren elders call me. Hey, um, I hear what you're saying and I know what you meant, but this isn't exactly right. I'm like, all right, well, Lord, forgive me. There's times after prayer, I mean, after, you know, study, I'll go back and pray and the Lord will say, yeah, you, 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 you did all right, but this needs to be changed because people can misunderstand you. Maybe you should, you know, uh, approach that message not being double-hearted, but to say it as it is, uncompromising. So, you know, the Lord is always there to bring in correction, to get us in line with him. Why? Because he wants us to be fruitful. You can't be fruitful with weeds in your system. They have got to be taken out so that you can grow, that you can have everything right. You've got to have the right soil. You've got to be watered regularly. You've got to have the right sunlight. So this is what the Lord comes to do is put us in that place of growing. All right. So anyway, he says in verse 12 uh, or verse 13, look at what it says. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as you can see, we're all supposed to reach the measure of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying we're going to do every little thing he did, but the point is, is you've got to reach the fullness of Christ in you. Where he leads you in terms of ministry, that's up to God. But you see, it's been downplayed that a Christian is just supposed to become a member of something or another, just go to church, enjoy himself, and then go and live his life. No, the end game, just like any other thing in this world, is to graduate. Graduation in the spirit is Christ in you. There is no other atmosphere that works this way. If you look at college, you know, I mean, you don't go to college and pay all that money just so you won't graduate for nothing. You know, the end game is to graduate. It is to grow. It is to be productive. What I have now learned in school, I apply to my everyday life. Well, the gospel is no different. It's time that we begin to see ourselves as truly disciples of Jesus Christ, as children of the Lord, and be willing to meet those conditions necessary to serving him. Because you see, man, fruitfulness is beautiful. And when you see all five offices working together in one, man, you've got a beautiful operation in the Lord. When the apostles go out, build churches, you've got the prophets themselves. They're hearing from the Lord to keep everyone straight. You've got those evangelists going out, man, on fire to win souls for Christ. And then you got pastors that are guarding the flock, making sure the doctrine is proper. And you got the teachers, man, enabling people to learn and to present the word. What keeps a lot of people from preaching the gospel has a lot to do with a lot of Christians I've learned don't know the word of God. And you see, you're not going to learn that in church. I hate to tell people that, but this is the absolute truth. The pastor's job is to teach you what Jesus Christ wants you to do to grow. 
But what you learn in the word is going to be your own study time with Christ in the spirit, spending time with him. Because I went to church for 30 plus years and I'm telling you, I did not know the word until I began to study the book myself. When, when pastors would tell me, guys, have your Bibles out in front because for all you know, I could be crazy. That's the right message. That's what you need to hear. Like, you know what? Yeah, he's, what he's doing is he's taking your trust out of man and placing it on the living God and his word. That's what any good pastor, amen, brother, the Bereans. They checked out everything Paul said and Paul didn't mind. Verse 14 says, now why should we get full? Why should we become fruitful? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So as you can see, a lot of people are deceived. A lot of people don't even know the true gospel. They can't even tell you five things that Jesus Christ said to do. And this is all because they're not, they're still babes. They're still looking unto people to show them when God wants us to grow. This is all about growth. This is all about being fruitful. Well, Adam and Eve started out with the perfect plan. God made them like himself. So he said, man, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Since we have fallen, Jesus Christ is our example and how to grow and how to get what we need out of being Christians, out of serving the Lord. Don't you want to be fruitful? Don't you want the Lord to tell us one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant? But we can't get there unless we truly hear what the Lord has to say. He said, many will come on that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? And he said, away from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Because you know what it is? Some people are not called to do certain things. They do them because they feel like this is a, a work that I should be doing. But is that the calling upon your life? There is a time period where God tolerates it. He puts up with it because he sees your intentions and he'll pour water on you. But then there comes a place of, like I said, that third river, Hedekel, which is darting or dash, dashing towards your purpose. Once you're full, God's going to tell you, well, you know, that was great what you did, but I want you over here, okay? Because you need to hear God in order to be fruitful. Where people think they don't need to hear the Lord today, man, it's a tragedy. I love how the apostles used to pray together and all the people in the church. And in the middle of prayer, the Holy Ghost would say, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have called them to do. What? I thought all they had to be was apostles. I thought that was the only job, but you can see, God began to move them and what he called them to do. Even when Barnabas and Paul separated because of their dissimulation over John Mark, God separated them and made them doubly as um, productive. So you see, when God does a work, it does not go unproductive. They couldn't do it together, so God used that opportunity to have them both productive. Paul wasn't wrong and Barnabas wasn't wrong about John Mark. Uh, uh, Paul didn't think John Mark should come with them because he cowered away before. So that only meant that God only called Paul. Paul, you keep doing what I'm telling you. Barnabas, you work with John Mark. And thank God he did because John Mark wrote the, um, the uh, Peter's account of the gospel. So you see, he did come of age. Even Paul said while he was in prison, send for John Mark now. You know, so 
It wasn't personal. It's just that God had different things that he wanted them to do. And because they obeyed, the will of the Lord was fulfilled. But sometimes we get so scared, man, we can't separate from people. Ah, man, why don't you come with me? What did the Lord tell you to do? It's good to go in twos and it's good to have disciples and bring people with you, but what were you called to do? That's something that we all wanna know in the beginning. So let's go to Genesis chapter one and then we're gonna bring this thing forward. Genesis one. Um, I think it was, um, it was some, oh, Genesis chapter two, yes, yeah. No, no problem, man, no problem at all. You interrupt anytime you like. <laughs> Praise the Lord, glory is all his. <laughs> Amen. So let's look at uh, Genesis 1, look at verse 21. It says, and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth with the water, I mean, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and refill and fill the waters of the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. So can you believe that God even spoke to the animals? He told them to be fruitful and multiply. You know, they're the only ones really fulfilling the will of God right now, even though they had Adam as their head, because a whale is gonna bring forth a whale. A dog is gonna bring forth a dog, okay? You know, no matter what is that, um, that brings something forth, that's what it will be, okay? Bees bring forth bees. But let's get down to where this is man. I was just that's exactly man. <laughs> absolutely. Now you got man himself today trying to redefine the the reproduction of God. Now we're transgender. Now we're this. Now we're that. And that's something that, and that's not a part of God's original plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's look at verse twenty three. In the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So what was man meant to do? Be in God's image and likeness and bring forth after not just man, but godly man. This was man connected to God. You and I have never seen this individual until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he calls everyone to be as they are. These guys even had something I feel in many ways was greater than any man really had on the earth. Not that they kept it, but the, the point is, Jesus came into the garden to see them. Man, they were special. Do you remember the last time man was given dominion over the earth? I mean, you, better, you think about this. Adam didn't have a father except God. Adam was the son of God. 
So everything that Jesus did, Adam was supposed to be doing, but Adam fell before that could come to pass. Somehow I always believed that was God's original plan that he was gonna show man that he needed God because there might've even come a time with Adam where he would have felt, yeah, man, we're doing good. We're in business. It may have walked away at a later day. But you see, Jesus Christ tells us, look at the tragedy we went through before his arrival and look at what he came to bring back. You want to say something, bro? Well, you mean Jesus? No, Adam. Well, Adam, he made from the dust of the ground and he breathed into him. So you can say some of God or God's spirit went into Adam. Yeah, right before Adam to come into the presence of God, he needed to accept Christ mm -hmm. when Jesus went to the pits to preach the gospel, right? Well, I mean, the Lord died for Adam too. Right. Oh, he had to subdue Adam so is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah because I, I think that a lot of people don't realize how wicked Adam was. You know, I mean, you see, we only get bits and pieces about him obeying his wife, but you look at any disrespectful kid today, you look at anybody that, that's an atheist that hates Jesus, and I mean, you know, you'll find the worst sort of man that you can see walking this earth. That was, that's the fruit of Adam after the fall. See, we don't know what Adam could have been and what he could have become. In many ways, Adam was the Antichrist, and that's why he took man to the cross to destroy him. He didn't say, Adam, I'm going to keep part of you, but I'm going to make the rest me. No, he got rid of the whole thing. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. He was pierced in his hands. He was pierced in his feet, and he had a crown of thorns upon his head. Because not only did he want Adam destroyed, he wanted Adam's mind destroyed. He wanted the, the, the way that Adam walked to be destroyed and the works that Adam did to be destroyed. God wanted to get rid of all of it so that he can start new. That's why they called Jesus the second Adam, because he had no earthly father, you know, and through Jesus, we are able to, to um, obtain eternal life. So he brings forth the new root and not the old. You got something, Deborah? I just like that yeah. Adam had no earthly father, Christ had no earthly father. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the whole point. And that's why when people argue about the old Mosaic law and all that, guys, you misunderstand the original creation, what God eventually, there was no law for them. They were good. And Jesus is coming back. Not to say we shouldn't obey the word of God, of course, but the whole goal is not to have you follow laws. It's to eventually make you righteous. Righteous is a nature. That's not something law can give you or the old Mosaic law would have given it. Look at how they've got the death penalty in this country or in this, in this world. And look at how they were getting stoned in that time for disobedience, but they could not take that nature out of man. And that's what the Bible means in Romans 8 when it says when, that the law was weak and that it could not, um, oh man, what does it say in Romans 8? What the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So God's goal is to make us righteous. Yes, we follow the word of God, but the end game is Christ in you. That's the whole purpose. When Christ is in you, Jesus is not a sinner. 
If we birth Christ, if we bring forth Jesus, if we sit under the right conditions to be fruitful and multiply and do what the Lord tells us to, then man, we have Christ in us. That's the end game. From that point on, you move as the Lord moved. You're not gonna be subject to thinking of sin like sinful man did. And that's why Paul says, I travail with you in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ that liveth in me. You know, Christ in you is the hope of glory. But it's time that we see ourselves as that's the path that we need to reach. I want Christ in me. I don't want to pretend. I'm sick of being hot and then cold, bold and then weak, lukewarm, and then I'm hot on fire for Christ. What am I, bipolar? I want to get to the place of being full of Christ that the flesh becomes subdued so that Jesus Christ can get the glory in this time, just like he did in the one that was before. Praise the Lord. So he says in verse 27, he says, so God made man in his own image uh, and, and created him a uh, male in wait. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You guys are gonna see how this relates to the gospel because when he talks about the fish of the sea or the fowl of the air, that's also speaking of man in different types of life. Why do I say that? Because if you look at Acts 10, when, when um, uh, Peter saw all the unclean foods, he was speaking of the Gentiles, but you see some live low and some live high. Some tend to be rich, Others tend to be poor, but the gospel is meant for everyone. Some will be righteous people and others would be barbarians and Scythian. But if they accept Jesus Christ, he wanted them to have dominion over them. It's almost like, well, ain't no almost. God knew that man was going to fall. He knew that he was going to call out a people for him. And he knew there would be a whole world that knew nothing about him. But what was the goal? The same thing he's telling him here is the same thing for us in the gospel as his church, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. And that's what we have not done. We have not preached the gospel where it needs to be preached. Many have been ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think that whatever powers are in the world are stronger than Christ. Now we can say in ourselves, no, nah, I don't believe that. Then why aren't we preaching the gospel? If Jesus is who we said that he is, then why aren't we going and growing and getting full to do the works of Christ? You see, our very nature tells on us. It's a marvelous thing to get baptized in the spirit, give your life to Jesus and grow. But man, don't you stop until you get full of Jesus Christ. Because only then can you fulfill the first commandment that he ever gave man. And he, he never recanted it. He never recanted it, guys. Look at this. I'm going to show like a couple of places to uh, look at uh, Genesis 8. Look at Genesis 8 and 15. Now, remember, this is after the flood, immediately after the flood. Genesis 8, look at verse 15. And it says, and God spake unto Noah, saying, 
go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, and all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breathe abundantly. So as you can see, what he told them in Genesis 1 and 5, I mean, on the fifth day, sorry, um, he he, uh, made clear that he wanted them to continue in the work. No, they're no longer what God originally made, because you see, when Adam sinned, then there was sin that crept into the animals as well. If he was made from the dust from the earth and he was given dominion over it, then when he fell, everything in the world would be corrupt. You know, so he says abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth with his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. So as you can see now, this wasn't the original plan anymore, but God had a new one. Okay, since it's already been somewhat messed up, I'm going to rid the earth of everything that is not like me, and I'm going to work with whatever I was able to save. And this is what God's plan was, to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth still. Because why? Noah was a man of God. He wasn't speaking to Pharaoh here, you know, because Pharaoh would have fulfilled the will of the devil. You know, Pharaoh would have oppressed the people of God. So he's speaking to a righteous man of God to complete the same process, even though it wasn't the original creation any longer. So let's look at another part here. Let's go to uh, Genesis 17 and look at verse 19. All right, Genesis 17, look at verse 19. And it says, and God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him um, exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Now, some people would say, hey, Ishmael wasn't of the seed of God. He didn't do what God says. Well, we got to ask ourselves, if God didn't just take Isaac as his people to go forward, who would be the father of the Gentiles? Why do you think Esau went his way? I'm not saying that it was meant for Esau to go there, but Esau disobeyed God. But you see, the whole plan was to eventually bring them back. God had a people. But you see, Esau, Esau might have died and, you know, God hated and didn't like what he did. But you see, the people of Esau eventually ended up saved. Because some people would say, what's the point in God creating man if all he's going to be is sinful? Why would God uh, give life to this murderer so he can go out and kill people? Hey, that murderer needs to be saved. And that murderer may have children that may, that may want Jesus Christ and grow. So you see, our God is always looking well ahead of the process. That murderer has a free will, but if he chooses not to obey God, God's looking for the next generation that he can bring up. So you see, this is the goodness of God. Imagine if God judged some of our forefathers for the stuff they did. Hey, I got Native American roots. I don't have to say more. 
I know many of them dabbled in witchcraft and didn't believe in Jesus Christ. We all got criminals somewhere in the family, but thank God he didn't say, you know what, because this man has been bad, I'm gonna see to it that he has no children and I don't want anything like him coming again. God always sees the beginning from the end. He sees the potential in what could be, not in what we have right in front of us. Yeah, bro. I have a good example of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood. Alice Bailey? She had something to do with it. Like she wrote a plan against it. Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to get her out of school. She succeeded because we don't have her in school. Mm-hmm. However, she tragically died and was murdered. And then her son became a born again Christian mm-hmm. and accepted Jesus Christ. So that is a perfect you know, segue. Amen. You, this woman went nothing to do with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Everything him raised him. That's right. Yeah, that's. That's the glory of the Lord. That's a great point. I didn't know that, man, but that's a great point because God himself, you know, is always looking to be fruitful. God is like, if I can't go with you and you won't go, then I'm gonna reach out to your children. But one thing is for sure, we will be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. God, that's his original plan. So if you won't go and you won't, you know, heed to God, Hey man, then I'll take your son. I'll take your wife. I'll take whoever's necessary to get the job done. So as you can see, we can go in accordance with God's plan or we can go against it. But you know, hey man, this is this is what it is. Thanks for that info. But you see, even Ishmael was meant to be brought fruitful and to multiply because it wasn't Ishmael's fault they was there, he was there. There was sin in that. Now, how many Arab Muslims, I mean, how many Arab Christians do you know today? There's quite a bit. There's a lot in Iran. There's a lot. I mean, when I say a lot, I mean, not like 40 or 50. I mean, there's a lot of Christians being persecuted for the name of Jesus in these countries. And now we were to compare Jew and Gentile, whoever they are, and we think the Jews are above them. I guarantee you guys, the Gentiles have been showing more faith over the last 2000 years than the Jews, because the Bible made clear that the Jew wouldn't know who he was anymore in the land, that he would be taken from a land. He would forget. He said that I would make them jealous by a people that are not my people to do what needs to be done because the Jews have forsaken Christ. But you see the Gentiles themselves, I mean, in these foreign countries, man, they're being persecuted. They've got to stand for Christ, even at the place of being beheaded. So you see, you can never truly be fruitful until you're willing to, if you don't have, um, if you can't live for Christ, or if you can't die for Christ, then you've got no desire to live for him. You've got to be convinced in your heart that I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to allow Jesus Christ to live in me and work through me. That's something that has to be. You've got to love Jesus to the point where if I live or if I die, it makes no difference. The Lord's will must be done. Because if we believe Jesus' life, then we lack nothing. But you see, if you don't believe, then there's that enemy of fear that keeps you from being unproductive. And that's what the devil will do. So let's look at the devil's plan. Let's go to Exodus chapter one, just to prove a point. This is what he's doing in the earth today to try and go against 
what God wants. Right. Exodus 1, and let's look at verse 1. Hey, brother and sister, uh, Heather and Gary. Hey, brother Jake. I can't see who else is down there. Okay, so, um, so uh, Exodus 1 and 1. He says, now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Reuben, sorry, Simeon, uh, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, but Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all his brethren in all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. So what we understand that even though Joseph's brothers beat him up and you know um, got him in prison, sold him off to the enemy, God was always with Joseph. You know why? Because God's plan is to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Was a famine coming and God knew about it? Of course he did. So he established Joseph, even when it looked like the whole world was against him. Joseph came up as a prisoner and became the number two man in Egypt. Why? All for the glory of the Lord. Then Egypt was able to come in. I mean, not Egypt. Uh, the the uh, Israelites were able to come in and they were able to grow and be fruitful. But of course, you know, that didn't last. But you see, God's will was done regardless. Look at verse eight. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely uh, with them, uh, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they that when they falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasures, uh, treasure cities of uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. So, you know, if you relate this to the gospel, there's nothing like a good old persecution that's going to get God's people to do what God says. You see, right now we're basking in the world, we're living this life out, and in doing so, we're falling into the devil's snare because the devil is saying, yeah, man, kick back, enjoy the American dream. Don't push yourself too hard. Jesus Christ did it all, so there's no need for you to put yourself through that. God loves you and he wants you to be happy, you know? So this is what the, this is the lie that's being taught. And you see just how this Pharaoh set up taskmasters over the people, that's these false pastors that are in the pulpit today meant to get the church to put out their fire, meant to tell people lies so that they wouldn't pursue Christ and go after them. These taskmasters are also like you, the, the um, statistic that you brought up, you know, about the prayer taken out of schools. The, the other plan that the devil brought to was they realized when there was one parent at home and one parent was able to work, 
that the children were more in a godly home and they could watch over the kid and teach the kid. But the devil made the inflation go up. He made time so rough with these taskmasters. Now you need both parents out of the home and now your child is left to me. So you see, this is the devil's plan to keep you from being fruitful because all you've got to do is send the shepherd or the farmer away on a journey so you can go and pull up his weeds. You wait for him to go to sleep. So this is what the taskmasters do. This is why when you want to serve the Lord, your boss, well, we got a project due next week. You know how many, absolutely. You know how many people will come here and start hearing the word and then all of a sudden they get the job of their dreams and they take off. Those are the taskmasters. They don't want you to know God. They want you to die a rich sinner so that none of this will mean anything. So we've got to know what is God's plan. It's about being fruitful and multiplying. So as they persecuted them, man, these guys are growing. We can't stop God's plan. So here comes plan B. And the Egyptians made, this is verse 13, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field and in their field uh, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor and the king of egypt spake to the uh, hebrew midwives um, of which the name of one was uh, shifra and the name of the other pua and he said when ye do the office of a midwife uh, to the hebrew women and see them upon the stools. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then shall she live. So these midwives, if they're the ones that tend to the birthing of the children of Israel, then who would they be today? They are the ministry. They are the Christians. They are the body of Christ that's supposed to help God to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish. You know, David Rockefeller, there's a document that he went to some really famous pastors of that time, and he gave them millions of dollars to water down the gospel and to bring doubt to the people of God so that they would not follow Jesus Christ fully. You see, the devil has always got to infiltrate. They couldn't just start killing him without the midwives. They did it in a crafty, in a sneaky way, a way that wouldn't even look like anything was going on. Now you know why abortion is accepted. And I think almost all 48 states, I mean, uh, there's maybe a few that a few cities that are standing up against it or a few states, but this is why the devil has allowed abortion to come in and he's used the scorned woman to say, hey, I can be my own. No man's gonna tell me anything. I, I'm my own boss. I can choose whether or not to have a child or to kill it. How did he also infiltrate? He used these lying doctors and scientists who belong to him to say, that's just an embryo. It's not really alive. So then it became a fetus five months. You know it's alive and they're still killing. Now they're nine months in the womb and they're killing them. Why? Because the devil has given the church of God a thirst for blood. Now that they've learned to kill, you know, and now that they've learned to have a, um, a seared conscience, you see how that plays out? So this is how the devil's plans to destroy the fruitfulness of the people, you know, has everything to do with his plan to divide and conquer. 
That's what he does. What do you think homosexuality is a big deal for? It goes against being fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. How do I know this? Because if you go to Genesis 1, he says he made male and female to be fruitful. And what did he also say? You know, that each living thing that he made would bring forth after their own kind. Homosexuals cannot reproduce after their own kind, making it what? Unnatural and not a part of the original plan of the Lord. You got something for Absolutely right. And this is, yeah, yeah, bro. It's right back here. But um, the thing is, is that when you look at this, this is so true because look at how um, when the when the devil, this is a good example. While he was talking, you know, this came up. But when the devil was the minority, he didn't fret. He did what was necessary to gain the upper hand. Now that the Christian has become the minority, we need to be thinking the same way. We need to fight and believe on Jesus Christ and move. Because there was a time the devil wasn't able to do this. The devil, I mean, we're yeah, we're the majority of one, we're the majority of few because we've got Christ. But God's plan was to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. But now that the devil has got, you know, now that he's one, or is, there were few of them, he infiltrated school. He went into the science realm. He took over the military. He took over banking. He did what it was necessary for him to gain ground. We need to be that faithful to our Lord. Yes, sir. The devil has his place. The devil has his place. Oh, yeah. Barack yeah, Obama. I mean, this is actually uh, out of the closet. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird you said that. It's like Christianity wasn't the devil was. Christians say whatever they want. Yep. It's just the truth. Yep. Everyone just agreed. Now that Christians are the minority, it's almost like we have to It depends. You don't want to take the weed and the harvest. You know, that's what mm -hmm. you feel like. No, it, it totally depends. I get what you're saying. But no, mm -hmm. yeah, you say what you said, but it's just so interesting. Now that we are the minority, it's almost like things are so much harder to say. Mm -hmm. We can't just say that's wrong. You can't do that. Like, you know, it was funny. I was at church today uh, this weekend, mm -hmm. and they were talking about homosexuality, and something just 
just, you know, how God can save you from anything. But it's just so interesting when the pastor said, a person, do not be fools, you know, gluttons, gamblers. And he, when he said homosexuals, he almost like, oh, dang. <laughs> he like, That's he right. stuttered. And he's like, oh, oh, it's in there. And it's like, you can't be double-minded, man. It is what it is, right? But again, because we're the minority, we almost have to be, we almost got to put sugar. Like, for example, the devil, you said when the devil was a minority, he gave up whatever he needed to become. To gain the ground. And we have to be the same way. We have to be, like, we're not giving them, but we have to be very tactical to gain ground. We have to, like, look, dude, like, yeah, you're cut. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. I don't even care. Just accept Christ. Okay? Let's just, can we just, like, focus on that? Well, totally. The Lord, the Lord has strategies for sure, you, you know. know but we, we, I mean, it also depends on perspective too at times. Every because be if you know that Christ is with you and the Holy Ghost is leading you to, though you may be one, you are that majority of one. I'm going to play a video, you know, about this. I'm glad you brought that up because there, you know, sometimes the Lord is just going to and fro in the earth just to find someone who will speak, right. who's not willing to compromise, right. you know. And, and if God is with you, no one can take it away. But I get what you're saying. But it's like now to in the open, like we we see the majority, like everybody is just wrong. You just mm -hmm. don't kill babies. It's just mm -hmm. common sense. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think that hard. Like uh, like Derek Prince said, he's like, you really don't have to think that hard, man. Like it's just like common sense. You just don't kill babies. Mm -hmm. And it's like we used mm -hmm. to have that. Up mm -hmm. now, we don't. We can't just even speak common sense. We have to like. He's so No, I get where you're coming from. I think like what plays out too is there are two different kinds of people during these times when God sends us out. There are those who will accept it and those who won't. Right. Our job is is number one to win the soul, but we also are a witness for Jesus Christ. So, you know, I mean, one thing the Lord's been working with me and has been taken away from me is compromise. You know, because I realized once you let a little seep in, man, you're going to do a lot of booty kissing, okay, just to be able to try and get the upper hand again. I get where you're coming from and what you're saying about the Lord putting us in places where we can be productive and fruitful, because after all, he's the chess master. Right. He's going to bring it to pass. But what I'm recognizing, too, is the times that I have stood up and Christ has been with me, man, he's been right there. Right. say what needs to be said. So and me, some are going to accept and others will reject. Let me give you an example. So, for example, like, there's somebody that's, that's in sin. And my first response is, don't talk about me, I guess we call it carnal flesh, mm -hmm. religious, whatever. Mm -hmm. My first response is to address their sin. Mm -hmm. But then, when, when, when I step back and listen to the Spirit, He doesn't want me to address their 
this. He wants me to address something else. And I'm just like, but first of all, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. And it's not compromise, because you know me, like I, I usually say things that I shouldn't be saying. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. say things that I, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I, if the Holy Spirit told me to say it, trust me, I'll say it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not the, it's not compromising. I agree with you. You're not supposed to compromise and in any corner of your, of your faith or what you have to say, especially when you're around kids. But what it is, is it's just like we don't have the luxury of just saying what we want. Like, we don't luxury. Just well, without persecution, yeah. without persecution, and yeah, you're right about that, that. But without losing that person's interest, like how can that be so hard to keep people? Well, a right lot now? of people didn't accept accept Jesus either, you know, for what he preached. And I mean, he came to them with miracles, with signs, and some people still didn't want it. So, I mean, we're not responsible for the outcome, but I get what you're saying, yeah, you know, in terms of that. You've got to let the Lord lead you, man, you know, and, and tell you exactly what to say, because I realize, man, we're, we're, our backs are against the wall as Christians, man. We can't go back any further. We've got to believe on Jesus Christ like Gideon with the 300, man, like, hey, we got to get the job done. And the Lord does work with a remnant. He does work with a remnant. He said only a remnant of Israel would be saved out of it. You know, most people are going to hell. Because the Bible says that, because they choose not Christ, right? So, you know, we just got to trust in him. Um, in your spare time, Second Kings 11 talks about Athaliah. Remember, the daughter of Jezebel wanted to kill all the firstborn so that she could stay queen. If you look at Luke chapter 1 or 2, I believe it's Luke 2. Let me get that right. So it was Matthew 10 and 16. I mean, Matthew 2, 10 through 16. And it tells you that um, 2 Kings 11, yeah, but it's Matthew 2, 10 through 16 that talks about when Herod ordered all the firstborn males again to God. You see, every time God gets ready to make a move, the devil's plan is to exterminate. Now, what's so real about this is if you guys ever look up the Georgia Guidestones, those are the 10 commandments of the new world order. And the very first thing on that list is to... Uh, what did they say? Keep the population under 500 million. The Georgia Guidestones, yeah. Uh-huh. So they said, they got their, their Ten Commandments for the New World Order. So they said that their first command that they want for the New Order is to keep the population under 500 million. Now, mind you, there's like 8 billion people in the world right now. So they want they want 90% of the people to die so that they can control it. You see, this is the devil's plan. And I'm sorry, if you're a homosexual, man, you're playing right into the game. If you're an abortionist, you're playing right into the game. You can't be for what God wants because you're going against what God stands for, what he originally called. So as Christians, you know, we've got to get in that place of fruitfulness. We've got to desire to want to be. Lord, make me productive in your kingdom. I know going back and forth to church, man, if this is all there is to being a Christian, I don't want it. When is the book of Acts going to come alive in my life? When am I going to be what Paul and Peter and James and John and all those others? Will my name be on that hall of faith for those who believe? That's what I'm concerned with. And that's not pride. That is the inheritance that the Lord wants you and I to make it to. So, you know, we've got to live a life tonight but we must obey God. Persecution is coming. Paul says for all who will live godly will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers 
will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because a lot of people are going to say, man, that's just too hard. It don't take all of that. It takes that and much more because Jesus Christ is the standard. All right, so let's go on to the, uh, yeah, because I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to play a quick video of this pastor that spoke out against homosexuality. And I mean, this guy was going off. He was a country boy, but he was laying it all out with what was. I can't, I don't think they say his name. They just say a pastor goes off. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to put play this. Hopefully it comes up. Well, that's why euthanasia. Absolutely right. Look at this. Um, it's gonna. I've got to put it on my tablet. And guys, every video we play tonight will be put on the. Um, it'll be in the description box once the video is uploaded. But you guys listen to this. Hopefully, it's right. You're going to be able to marry your dog. You're going to be able to marry your cat. 
You're going to be married to your snake. You're going to be married to your rat, your roaches. Some of y'all been with the roaches so long, you might well go marry the roaches. You've been around your house so long, you're going to be able to marry your broom, your mop. Ain't we going crazy in this world, y'all? Ain't we going crazy? I know Alabama made a lot of money. Y'all say, I know somebody else made a lot of money, too. Duracell ain't got no batteries on the shelf this morning. All the batteries gone. I tried to find a battery for my radio this morning. Couldn't find them nowhere. I said, what happened? They said, Rev, they bought all the batteries last night. They celebrated some kind of way. Just bought all the batteries. I don't know what they do with the batteries. Don't that. I'm going to preach that. I don't go there. You know what I mean? I don't know what they did with all the batteries. Now, Mr. Man, don't stop me in the hallway, you and your security team, and tell me I can't come here and talk like I talk. Because you got a political job to do, I got a biblical job to do. And I'm going to do mine, and you do yours. I'm going to stay in my lane, and you stay in yours. I ain't bought by nobody. If I have to die doing what I'm going to do, I'm just fine. Y'all remember Peter and si uh, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. I'm getting out of here, Mr. Austin. Don't you push that button. You remember Paul and Silas were thrown in jail? You remember the three Hebrew boys were thrown in the fire furnace? You remember Daniel was thrown in the last dead? They didn't say when he showed up or if he showed up. They said, we know he's going to show up. Why we scared today, preachers? Time. Everybody coming out of the closet but the saints. When we gonna come out of the closet? And all the gay people ain't show up down there. You see, we got some down low people that show up somewhere down here. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, man. That guy, he's saying, yeah. And he's standing there before them, like letting them know, letting them know upright, up close and personal. Hey, man, this ain't okay. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about, man. That guy said, man, why none of y'all stand up and say anything? See, God goes to and fro in the earth, man, looking for a man that will obey him. That's why, man, we got to enlist for war. We got to do what the Lord says. Look at Mark 16. Let's go to Mark chapter 16. Look at verse 15. Um, I think it's called a pastor from Alabama um, goes off like on council or something like that. I'll send it to you though, but that'll be in the description box. Huh? But you see, he didn't even speak well, but he said what every everybody understood, and he said what needed to be said. You need no education. You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ and stand for him. That man had the Lord in him. He said, Man, he, he told that guy when they were getting ready to push his button, he said, Don't you push that button and don't you try and um, you know. Trying to stop me, trying to end my time. Yeah, I'm going to say what needs to be said. And he said, I'm willing to die. See, you can't do anything with a man like that. He said, I can't be bought. You can't offer him anything. And that's why God wants our church. He wants us to be that way, where we will say whatever needs to be said. That's like John the Baptist. That's Elijah, man. That's the dude in the wilderness that cares less. That was the, well, you, right, absolutely. You know what I mean. No, that's right. Like, mm -hmm. I praise God that I have to both assist. Like, mm -hmm. he was, it was mm -hmm. all God. Yeah. Absolutely. But you see, he wasn't one of the big name preachers that supposedly stand for people. He was saying that the preachers didn't even show up. They didn't even change. show up because you know why? They're afraid of their business being interrupted. I mean, this is how the devil snares us and he keeps us from being fruitful. And in order to be fruitful, we better open up our mouths and trust Christ. And draw close to him, because yeah. it'll be Jesus doing the speaking, yeah, not us. Like <laughs> That's right. He was. I respect that guy. Somebody put down. They should put that man in the White House, because he was saying what <laughs> needs to be said. 
<laughs> Mark 16 goes, let's look at verse 15. And this is he who is Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How many is every? Every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This is known as the great, the great commission. And look at what Jesus wants in verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name uh, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. That don't mean become a snake handler. That means like to, you know, cast them out or do whatever. You got churches today actually handling snakes. So come on. Yeah, you know, crazy. So they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached the word everywhere or preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. How is this any different from being fruitful, multiply, replenishing the earth, and subduing it. That's what the call is for every Christian, for every single one of us, that we've got to reach that measure of what Jesus Christ said. Look at Matthew 7. And then we're gonna hear another clip of uh, Major Ian Thomas. He's got a good one. Uh, Matthew 7, let's look at verse 13. Yeah, but you should have heard, like, if you listen closely with headphones on, you'll actually hear some of the people in the council laughing, you know, and then laughter. you did. And then yeah. the lawyer behind them was kind of like, and he's chuckling. And then he's like, you know, because he's trying to act like he's serious. But yeah, deep down, man, like, he oh, was. I hear you guys in the back door. He can say, mm -hmm. he's like, I want to speak to you guys and the guys behind me. Mm -hmm. I think you heard him laughing. He was laughing. But he was trying to put up a straight face because that city council, I'm they'll say scared. to that lawyer, oh, that's funny. We'll see what we can do with you later. So you see. Mm -hmm. That's right, bro. That is right. So look at Matthew 7. Look at verse 13. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be there, and many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So if you're a Christian man, I think that you know you've got to be that in your mind that Jesus is the ark. Okay, when the time of the flood came, God shut the door. And everything on the outside perished. Everything on the inside remained, um, you know, survived. So that's something to think about because you, there are many things. We did a teaching a couple of years ago called Noah's Ark. How you compare the way that the ark was built and what it did, it's the same thing Jesus Christ did. Even with that one window in the top of the ark, which symbolizes that narrow way. I mean, or just he being the way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. The single eye and, you know, all that. The three levels it was built. Death, burial, and resurrection. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, you can just go on and on. But the point is, is if you wanted to survive back then, you had to be in the ark. 
You couldn't be like hanging out by the door or looking out the window. You had to be in the ark and God sealed it and shut it. So it's going to come a time that for those who receive Christ, man, they're going to be on his way to productivity. For those who won't, there's going to come a point where God's going to draw a line in the sand. Hey, you wouldn't come. And now we've already set sail. There's nothing I can do for you at this point. So we better take the Lord deadly serious. Mm -hmm. Amen, bro. Amen. so glad you brought that up because if you compare what you just said to what's your name sir mark all right so you know that that's the point is that um if you compare second thessalonians chapter two to what he just said concerning genesis six and the flood and everything that took place he said that there's going to be a great falling away the bible says that in second thessalonians chapter two and it says in first timothy four and one many will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, if you look up the word deluge, that means flood, right? But if you look up delusion, those words are what's gonna sweep the people away in the, in the end times. People are being swept up in delusion. They're getting swept up in false gospel. They're being taken away by these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And as you said, for those who stay in Christ and knowing him, man, you're not gonna be swept up. But if you desire just to love people more than you love God, man, you're gonna pour out for acceptance and that will to be accepted is gonna lead you right along the stream with the other unbelievers. We've got to know when to cut ties and when to say, hey man, you know what? You got your thing and I got mine. I'm only reaching out to you to see you saved. I'm not going along with what you want for the sake of getting along because I'm telling you, Man, false gospel and compromise are like a virus to the body of Christ. Once they get in, they multiply. And I'm telling you, you compromise one value, you'll compromise two. This happened to me actually about six months ago. I tried to win a person to the Lord in a workplace. And the person was asking me questions and they weren't sure about the Lord and everything like that. And I found myself saying, all right, so look, here's the point. Like, you know, why don't you just give the Lord a try? And they said, well, I don't want Jesus or whatever. And I was like, look, you know, Jesus came to save the whole world. He came to save everybody. And then I began to say with my mouth, you know, yeah, sometimes you don't need to preach hard to read people or you don't need to say all the basics. Why don't they just come and find out? And the Holy Ghost rebuked me later on and said, what you want me to do is lower myself to save a soul. And I'm not going to do that. The same truth that you got saved with, you present to others because they need to know. 
And after that, man, I said, I had to do some serious fasting, man, because you realize that stuff is creeping up on you. See, when you find yourself trying to be like the world, that's when that spirit is something is on your back. Something is trying to keep you from serving the Lord the way that he wants you to. Don't ignore those feelings. We were given them for a reason. But when you start getting that feeling like, man, I want to be like one of the crowd, and it's unfortunate that some people don't want to be my friend because of Christ, man, do some fasting and prayer, okay? Because that's something creeping on you that shouldn't be there. I mean, and I'm not saying that you, of course, we were made to love people and, you know, be accepted by people in some ways. But the, the whole thing is being fruitful and multiplying and doing what the Lord says. If you don't want the Lord, I can't make you do it. I told you the truth. I told you we need to repent or, you know, you'll go to hell not knowing Jesus. I owe you nothing else but to love you. And see, telling someone the truth is love. But that's another thing that's been redefined and lied about. You know, absolutely. Amen. That was love. He wasn't doing that for his benefit. What could he do besides go to jail? What could he do besides be ridiculed and mocked and made fun of? That was love speaking. Amen, bro. That's right. So look at verse 15. He says, Yeah, it's there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I agree. I don't think compromise is uh, the answer at all. I think you have to listen to the Holy Spirit and you mm-hmm. have to act on what the Holy Spirit says. It's mm-hmm. not just doing what you know, needs to be done like that guy just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I think that uh, being tactical, like, you know, like, you just being tactical in what you're saying. Yeah, the Lord you know, is the like, tactician. That's right. Like, not trying to bring a dead person that works. Mm-hmm. Allowing a person to die, he settled on the ground and speaking to that mediation. That only happens after they accept Christ. That's why we need. Yep. That's, that's why we need the Holy Ghost. And that's the separation yeah. I'm talking about. Is I feel like I spend, I don't know, I spend a lot of time ministering and trying to bring the dead person mm-hmm. into Christianity when the person just needs to die, accept Christ, accept the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. and then I can I can embrace that mediation. That's kind of the struggle we find. If we're still, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, just do this, 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 and then we can come to Christ. And we're still trying to bring this to that person and train them. Like, you know, a, 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 a training, a, a, a train their, their flesh and mind, their carnal mind, instead of allowing them just to submit themselves. Like, look, you don't need anything else. You don't need to stop doing that. You don't need to, like, you do need to stop doing that. But you don't, you don't, like, you don't need routine. You don't need structure, the only and first and foremost thing you need to do is lay your life down and submit everything that you are holding on to right now. And from there, you know what I'm saying? You know something, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not trying to work on you. I'm just trying to help you or I'm just trying to guide you to submission to Christ. From there, that everything else goes from there. That's why Jesus, he's the only one that could win a soul. You and I never could and we still can't today. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to tell you what to say, because right. there are times that the Lord told me, just tell that person up, buy his coffee online, tell him I love him. Now, see, if I go beyond that, and you got to understand what Elijah came for and what the Lord said, and this and that, now you run that person off. Now, you see, that's not obeying the spirit. But then there are times that the spirit has told me, you know, when I got ready to say, no, I'm just going to say, Lord, you love him. And the Lord says, you're going to say what I tell you to say. And you are going to tell them the truth and that they need salvation and they need to stop the sin they're doing. It's all Jesus Christ. Jesus approached some people 
you know, with just healing. Right. He approached other people with the hardcore gospel, but he never, you know, went outside of what the spirit told never him to do. Us. No, that's it. You know, so look at verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So as you can see, as Christians, we have not fulfilled our job in the Lord until we have become fruitful for Jesus Christ. And we've got to stay saved. That's the other thing. You know, we've got to bear fruit. Not only get saved, but stay saved. Because Paul says, I've got to buffet my body and bring it into subjection, lest I myself can preach the gospel and become a castaway. So you've got to be in line with the Lord. Yeah. At the root of the tree. The of the tree. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and that's the whole point is that if we're going to be fruitful for the Lord, we've got to cling to Jesus Christ. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So a lot of times we can think we're being fruitful for the Lord ourselves, but he didn't call us to those particular things. We've got to be governed by the spirit. He says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not because it was founded on the rock. So we understand that everything that the Lord was telling us, if we do it, we will be able to withstand persecution because after all, it was founded on the rock who was Jesus Christ. He says, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not uh, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So we can't avoid the winds. We can't avoid the storm and everything that's coming. What we've got to do is be rooted and grounded in the Lord. All right, so let's go to another spot real quick while there's time. Look at Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 18. Yep, Matthew 13 and verse 18. And I think what really has hurt a lot of Christians today, too, is, you know, that warrior spirit that the apostles and our forefathers and those that had for Jesus Christ, it's been it's been watered down tremendously. Because you haven't noticed if you look at one generation to the next, it seems like people are becoming more weak and effeminized because I even realized physically I'm nowhere near the warrior that my dad was. Man, my dad was no joke. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, even though I don't consider myself a wimp, but the point is, is men were stronger. Men held on to more. They acted like men. But today's men you see is just like, I don't know, effeminate. Absolutely. It's like we've just become, I can't say these words. I can't do this. And that's not what Jesus Christ was about. 
That's right. David told his son Solomon, act like a man. He told Solomon, if you're going to be king, act like a man and obey the Lord the way he said. But Solomon went his own way. A thousand women. You know, Solomon had that, you know. What scares me for this generation is they submit under women like like Adam. Like, mm -hmm. like every organization has to be. Mm -hmm. And it's like the woman is not even like the head of that organization, but every man will look to the woman and it's like, okay, if she's cool with it, we're all cool with it. They'll be like 50 guys, like five guys and one girl. Like, okay. It's like, and they think that they're being sensitive, but all they're doing is submitting mm -hmm. to Jesus. It's, it's a personal, it's a, it's a purpose. Uh, it's yeah. a purposeful. It's, it's, it's not even to, 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 like you as a Christian, me as a Christian, we know because it's being done by the enemy to bring pollution, right. bring God's That's right. God meant for men to be men. And the, the hope for that is John, uh, there's a few verses that says the hearts of the fathers are turned back. That's right. That's in Malachi. And that's what he was speaking of concerning John the Baptist with yeah. coming with the, the spirit of Elijah, that he would turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and not to their mothers. This is a matriarchal society. Look at the clothing, man. I can't even find jeans anymore unless they are skin tight. I mean, you know, shirts so tight, you can see my heartbeat. I mean, it's just like, man, we need to really get back in line with the Lord. So look at Matthew 13 and 18. He says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word in the kingdom, I mean, of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which he hath sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. So as you can see, when the word doesn't pierce through, when people don't understand the importance of the gospel, he says, man, the devil could just come and scoop it up and move on. So look at verse 20, but he that have received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon, meaning immediately, with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. But when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. And that's why, you know, as as he was as um you were saying, Mark, that if we were to accept what the Lord gives us and we go forward with Jesus Christ, just believing on him, you can't be fooled by this. But if you're in the gospel, if you're in the church, if you call yourself a Christian for any other reason than Jesus Christ and wanting to be like him, man, it's only a matter of time before you sit up under the word and get offended. Because you know what? This gospel gives you a surgical incision and reaches everything that is within. It says the word of God is a discerner of the joints and marrow and the intents of the heart. The Lord knows us. So if we're seeking anything outside of the gospel, this word will find you out. And that's why after a while, some people say, I love Jesus. You know who they love? Jesus the genie. They love Jesus the giver. They love Jesus the healer. But do they want Jesus? That's the thing. Do you want to be one with him? Like man was originally with his creator to be fruitful, 
If you want Jesus for any other reason, you will, you will, it's only a matter of time before you become offended because this gospel is going to get all in your face. This gospel is going to step all over your shoes. And this gospel is going to command you to change. And if you don't want to, you will, it's only a matter of time before you leave. Because that's that's the good thing about like Sam was bringing up. It's a great point to tell people like, okay, let's figure out a way or let the spirit work and obey the spirit to get a person in. Because our God is very strategic. But you know, you know, with the end, it is to win people over to the gospel. All right. But the thing that one of the dangers the words, the words. Absolutely. One of the dangers that could be with that though is people may join for the wrong reasons. That's the only downside to it. Uh, Sarah, yeah. Yeah. Um, when people just love the idea of Jesus and the healing and the miracles, it's like, you know, the five thousand and the four thousand, they, you know, they came to this bread, the physical bread. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, why did you follow me here? Mm-hmm. Was it because of the miracles? Was it because of the energy? Mm-hmm. And then in John 6, 6, 66, we see they turned away. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we can't just love the idea of Jesus. Goodness that he does. Mm-hmm. You realize that this word is alive, like I found out, then it is a change. You want to change, you know, being an alcoholic. You want to change being a smoker. You want to mm-hmm. change, you know, curse and every other word. Mm-hmm. And all of that one, it's a mental change. It's a heart change. It's, you know, it is a mental condition. Your mind changes. You know, your mm-hmm. heart changes. So that's what it really is. It's a, it truly is a change, but you can't just let the idea of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus has to that's right. Amen. I love the way they addressed it back in the day with Paul, like you just say, uh, John Mark was like, yeah, he, he, he felt that he needs, to, like, he needs to be discipled more. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how serious he was. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I love how they, oh, he just, just called it out just like that. You mm-hmm. know, like, that's so true because I think in the body, if that was more like that, more healthy, mm-hmm. man, there wouldn't be no room. It would just be the word that's, that's hitting you. You would have brothers and sisters in Christ telling you, like, like, bro, we were ministering those three people. Where'd you go? It's like, yeah, exactly. oh, sorry, I got a call. It's like, no, you did. You liar. Exactly. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right with that one. Just want Jesus. Charles That's right. Brother Derek, I'm telling you, I heard you say that tonight. That just puts it in concrete because that's all I I don't want anything else. And I know we have a life we all live, but full of the Holy Spirit and then having just Jesus, it will get you to every one of these terms. That's all that matters. That's right. And you will be fruitful. That is the, that is the point. That's a great point. You will be fruitful. Jesus don't pull back empty nets. When he told them, put that net on the other side, man, they couldn't even carry the fish out of the water. So, you know, if we put that net on the other side and give it all to Jesus Christ, man, we got nothing to and worry about. He used that to draw them, too. Because mm-hmm. he knew they were fishermen. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, drop that. I'll make you fishermen. That's you right. Know? That's right. Amen. So he says, look at verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becoming unfruitful. I've seen this happen so many times, not just in my life, but in the lives of others, that they eventually get something and all of a sudden Jesus goes on the back burner. And this is why I said in the beginning, we gotta see the devil as a worthy adversary because the first thing he gave Jesus in that wilderness was, man, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the, in a moment in time if you will just bow down and worship me. So the devil never changed his, his plan. The first was the bread. And then it was um, dependent on Luke or, Ma or, or Matthew. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms. And then he took them to the temple and prove yourself that you're the son of God. And if Jesus would have obeyed him, Satan would have been his God. Yeah, bro. Yeah, that's said, right. Uh, that's uh, right. It is written to serve the Lord your God and worship him. Mm -hmm. If Jesus was as greedy and self-serving as we are, all, we'd be dead. Inch, even just an inch. Yeah, yeah, inch of it. We'd be we'd finished. Be even if he thought about it. Hmm. Oh, it would be too late. You know, shit. That's right. Uh, we'll be the one of the gospel. That's why I have a party right now. Yeah. Amen. So you see, a lot of people are choked off by the richness of this world or the cares of this life and you become unfruitful. So understanding the gospel is not enough. You got to know the benefits of it. You got to see the snares of the devil if you want to be fruitful. He says in 23, but he that have received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some in a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So that tells you right there, we're all not going to bring in the same amount, but one thing we will do is be fruitful. That's what this is about, being fruitful and multiplying, going with the gospel that souls can be saved. So this is an um, article I read a few years ago, and the Lord led me back to it. It's called 15 Reasons Our Churches Are Less Evangelistic Today. Let's look at this. These are, I'm just going to go right to the reasons because I don't, don't want to waste any time. <laughs> So it says, uh, the response was highly informative for me. Here are the top 15 responses listed in the order of frequency. Christians, this is number one. Christians have no sense of urgency to reach lost people. This is true. Look at two. Many Christians and church members do not befriend and spend time with lost persons. Now, when they say befriend, I want to make sure that that's done on a certain level because I can understand being an acquaintance or being an associate. And when you call someone a friend, that means that you guys agree. So if he means going out to like, you know, get to know people and spend time with them to hear the word, yes. Because if you befriend unbelievers in many ways, if your obedience isn't fulfilled, that's gonna pour water on your fire and you're gonna find yourself trying to fit in. That's what it's like. That's right. This is three. Many Christians and church members are lazy and apathetic. This is four. We are more known for what we are against than what we are for. That's true. So we should be talking about what we what we're promoting, like any good salesman would, or anyone that has their you know political agenda. What we stand for, we do. But you know now there's not enough of speaking of what they're against, nor what they stand for. Right. That's right. Every man, you got to give it. You should be ready to give a give a reason for the reason of the purpose that you believe in Christ. Absolutely. So he says, uh, this is the next one. Uh, verse five. I mean, this is five. 
And it says, our churches have an ineffective evangelistic strategy of you come rather than we go. This is six. Uh, many church members think that evangelism is a role of a pastor and paid staff. That's true. A lot of people think, well, the pastor should bring people. They'll come in and say, well, there ain't too many people in here, so I may as well leave. You see, that's the difference between babes and mature Christians. A mature Christian sees the possibility of building and what could be. A babe wants you to nurture them in the crib and give them the breast so that they can just, you know, love what they're doing. And if it doesn't meet my need, now I can leave. But, uh, but uh, exactly. But a true believer that is in Christ, he put that creative personality in you. You're not looking at what is because our God doesn't look at what is. He looks at what could be. He will judge what is at the end of time. But the first thing he does is look at what could be. When Adam and Eve fell from their position and they were in the worst case scenario ever, you know, the whole thing is God says, hey, my seed will, will crush your seed. He already had plan B. But when you're maturing in Christ, you see what you can do for the church, not what the church can do for you. All right. That's not what he stole that from the Bible. <laughs> Kennedy, you would never believe how many things come from the Bible, man, that the Hollywood will get rich on. So um, it says, well, let's see, uh, this is seven. That's right. This is seven. He says, church membership uh, today is more about getting my needs uh, met rather than reaching the lost. See, and the Bible tells us at the end of time, Paul says, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the end, perilous times will come because men will become lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, you know, incontinent, despisers of, despisers of those that are good, fierce, you know, you know the list. But the whole point is, is that that's what's coming of the world today. Even the church itself has become self-loving. And when you love yourself and you're not selfless, God can't get a word done through people like that. Because no matter what, the focus is me, how I'm gonna be seen, how many people are here to hear me. I care about how many are getting gonna be with Jesus Christ. This is A, church members are in a retreat mode as culture becomes more worldly and unbiblical. This is nine, many church members don't really believe that Christ is the only way of salvation. This is where that whole ecumenical movement, the emergent church, is coming together. They've come up with Chrislam, the perfect, uh, the purpose-driven life, you know, of the name it and claim it, the prosperity gospel. All this garbage comes in and keeps us from being fruitful. You know why? Because none of those things would be sold on someone who was sold out to Christ. That's for the unbeliever. That's for the man who cares about self. He gets bought into those lies. But the man who wants Christ lives a denied life. Hey, man, don't sell me on prosperity because my prosperity is in Christ. I don't need to name it and claim it because Christ lives in me. And what he does is what he wants. So this is, uh, this is 10. It says, our churches are no longer houses of prayer equipped to reach the lost. Churches have lost their focus on making disciples who will thus be equipped and motivated to reach the laws. There we go. Christians do not want to share the truth 
of the gospel for fear they will offend others. Uh, and it says a political correctness is too commonplace even amongst Christians. This is 13. Most churches have un unregenerated members who have not received Christ themselves. And that's true. You get a lot of people that want people to be entertained and to hear the gospel in their church, but neither one of them want Jesus. You got a pastor not born again, and you got a person, a member of the church telling people to come in and hear, but they themselves don't want Christ. I like the messages. I like entertainment. You know, this is 14. Some churches have theological systems that do not encourage evangelism. And this is 15. Our churches have too many activities. They are too busy to do the things that really matter. That's true. You can work so much for God that you can end up not knowing him. What did he tell the church of Ephesus? You've done all these things right, but because you have left your first love, I will remove your candlestick unless you repent and get connected with God again. That's the Lord's plan. Now I want to uh, go to one more place. And then I think from there, I want to go to Romans 10. Romans 10 is a good place to go. Romans 10, guys, let's look at verse one. And then I'm going to play a Leonard Ravenhill video that I think is going to be um, good for this teaching. Some of you have heard it before, but I think it's going to be spot on for what we're talking about tonight because we need to understand why we must be fruitful concerning the Lord. This is not just about, you know, coming in and getting what you need for you. If you're someone that comes in and you get what God has for you and you uh, get the increase and then you become full and you want to sit there in your happiness and not reach another, you're worse than a sinner. You know why? Because you know the truth and you know everything that God has done for you and you won't do it. The sinner has an excuse. He's ignorant. He doesn't know. But here you are soaking up as much Jesus as you can, knowing he's real and what he's done in your life. And you sit there with your mouth shut. You'll go to hell before the sinner because you do know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, no, I hear you. Guilty is being silent at times, mm -hmm. not saying anything. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of deadness of our own people who call themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. are sitting there expecting that we have Jesus who are okay. You know, yeah, and it's like, what about him? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what about the people? Okay, now that you're nice and dry on shore, there's other people in the river. You're not going to throw him a life raft? You're not going to give him Jesus? That's an evil individual. And you see, if the devil can't stop you from coming to Jesus, his next thing he does is to promote pride and self-righteousness. Because once he makes you self-righteous, you become the standard and Jesus Christ is no longer the standard. So now you go around critiquing others, but you want people to measure up to you. See, the devil, man, has got tricks. He's not just someone that, all right, I made it to Jesus. Now he knows to be a good dog and stay over there. Man, this guy is crafty. He can get you into self 
And when you become self-righteous, you won't be productive because you'll spend your whole time condemning other people. But like you said, bro, a lot of people do not think that it's necessary to go out there and reach people. Then what are we? Because if we're Christians, we're supposed to be Christ-like. Jesus didn't just sit in the temple with his disciples, their own little exclusive group. He told them to go out and preach the gospel. Yeah, bro. How do they operate in this culture? He guards the church, right? Well, he's kind of like in a small way. He's kind of like in a small way a father over the people. Okay, he's kind of like a father of the church. He's not the father, and he's not calling himself one, but a pastor comes from the Greek word poimen or patter, which means somewhat of a father. I'm making the point, but I'm just bringing up the point. Just how a father would take care of his home, that's the same way a pastor is supposed to be. You're going to tell your children what they need to do and know so that they may grow and be fruitful. When they're coming, first of all, we're God's children. The pastor is just somebody that's saying, he just feels a calling to come to the Lord, just like you're doing right now. But I'm not a pastor. Well, right, you're not a pastor, but he feels a calling to share the word. Right? Mm -hmm. Sharing the word. So that's that's my point. So there's no. How does a pastor do that in a in a in a church culture that is me me me? You know what I'm saying? I feel like the devil's done more than. I believe the example is always Christ, but that pastor himself should bear God's image and should be selfless himself. If you're going to do something, lead by example. Jesus washed the apostles' feet, you know, when they were just disciples of his. Jesus did things to show them what he was really about, you know. So I think in order for us to do anything, we can't do anything contrary to Jesus. Jesus held all five of those offices, including priest and king. So you see, with him holding those offices, he did evangelize. He was a prophet. I mean, he was a prophet, no doubt. He was hearing from the Father and displaying the Father's doctrine. But he was also an apostle, you can say, because he went out to build his first church. The church was birthed when he breathed on them. And he told them what to do, to go out and preach the gospel. He was a pastor, no doubt, because he protected the flock. He referred to himself as the good shepherd. And he's also a teacher because he taught them everything they would know. And when he left, he sent another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost that would bring them into all truth and righteousness. So Jesus is the example, but a so, pastor should have Jesus as his example to lead the flock. So and what Paul told Timothy, what Paul told Timothy through the whole book of Timothy one and two is all about Paul teaching his young apprentice, Timothy, who eventually became a pastor in the church of Ephesus to do those works. So I believe that they should live according to the word and they should be doing what Jesus said to do. And what Paul told the others. Right. He told Timothy, don't be scared to speak because of the way chosen. That's right. He told Timothy a whole lot about not being caught up in the world and doing other things. And why did he do that? He wanted Timothy to be fruitful. So what you're saying is the only way Absolutely. That's all we could ever do. Get full of Christ. Very small, like almost like controlled environment. I wouldn't say controlled. I would say that as they come up under your leadership, that you should be nurturing and helping them grow. 
that's what a pastor does. But the doors are always open. You know, I mean, if there are people there that don't want to do right, the Bible tells you how to deal with that. He tells the people, go and talk to them. If they won't listen, bring it before the church or bring two or three people. They don't listen, bring it before the church. If they choose not to, then let them go out as a heathen man and, and like a publican, but they will not be in the body of Christ. So that's how he's a protector because he stands with the word of God and he watches the children of God grow. He says, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, because of any true pastor loves, he's going to feed the flock and watch them grow and that they may be able to reach their fullness in Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what uh, Ephesians 4 and 11 speaks of. But let's look at Romans chapter two. Did I answer your question? You know, you did, but it just negates the, the culture's church. By, by saying that like Jesus. Well, a lot of people are called to be pastors and they're not. Then what's the purpose of Jesus doing a sermon on the mound and having the disciples preach? I mean, he himself well, teaching be, in the temple daily. But it's just like in, in the culture that we're in, it's like, how does pastor get to these people that are just coming to be entertained? Well, if so, he happens to run into someone when he's um, not teaching, if he happens to run into people when he's not teaching or whatever, you know, then he's going to be an evangelist. Remember I said in the beginning that all five offices, all five offices are, should, should be operational, but they all are, they all evangelize. All of them are evangelists, but evangelist is a specific position for winning souls. I'm just seeing, I'm, I'm talking out of place of frustration, but I'm seeing where I have a heart of getting And people don't want that. So, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Trust me. I'm, I'm, Absolutely. You can't be responsible for what people do and what they decide, but you've got to live by Christ. And those who can hear, those who have ears to hear, they will go in line with what God says. And it just makes me wonder how frustrated something like ministering to 30 people. It makes me wonder how somebody ministering to 200 people. God gives the increase. God gives the increase because sometimes we're not ready for a crowd of five or six hundred. God doesn't put more on you than you can bear. Sometimes we're not ready to take that next step and do certain things. You know, that's just. Mm -hmm. You be faithful to the call that He has for you. So look at Romans ten. Look at verse one. He says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is." that they might be saved. But I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So as you can see here, Paul is making clear that a lot of people may come and they have zeal to want to love and serve God, but not according to the knowledge of God. So this is why you can get happy-go-lucky and want to do all these things, but you know not Christ. So you've got to get to the place of knowing him. Look at verse three. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So as you can see, our righteousness has to be compared to the word of God, not our own. Look at verse four. 
But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. But Moses described, excuse me, describeth uh, the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So a lot of people want to go up under the law. Hey, man, if you think that's going to make you productive, if you go up under the old Mosaic law, you're going to have to live in accordance to it, and you're going to be judged by it. Good luck with that one, because no one else was able to handle it. And you can't just do one part of the law. You got to keep the whole law. And since no man can do it, I wish you the best. It's best to just believe on Jesus Christ and accept the gift that he had given and grow in his grace. So look at verse six. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? Uh, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So when you look at the fact that you believe, we know that's not just confessing it with your lips. Believing is also an action. Hearing is also an action. You don't just say, I hear you. Hearing in the Hebrew and Greek means, now that I know and I understand, that means to do. I need to live my life in accordance with what God tells me to do. So look at verse, uh, verse 10. Thank you. For with the heart man uh, believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we've got to confess Christ. The fact that when Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, if you don't confess Christ, that tells you where you are. Don't get discouraged. Cling to Christ and become fruitful. He's going to do the work. So he says in verse 11, he says, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So you see how he defined believing as an act of salvation. But then he says, for those who believe on him, they will confess him, but they won't be ashamed. So that tells you the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Verse 12, but there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So you see, we've got to get out and do what the Lord says that they can be heard because you see, it's not gonna just be the unbeliever that's not accountable. It's gonna be the self-proclaiming Christian. Hey man, if these people don't know of Christ, we need to speak of Christ. We need to teach Christ, okay? So that, and how can they do that without a preacher? So the preacher should be preaching Christ. He should be telling people the truth that they may grow in him. Yeah, evangelism is important. And how shall they preach? except they be sent. This is the problem. A lot of people were not sent of the Lord. They found it. They desired to be pastors. They wanted a profession that they could make a bunch of money and get a lot of fans. A lot of people were not sent. 
You've got to be called to the right place in God for God's fruitfulness to play out in your life. So anyway, he says, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And that's a beautiful thing in God that we get to preach the gospel that other people may be saying. We've got to be like the postman. You know, we don't know, you know, um, what's in the package and nor do we care. I'm a messenger. I'm delivering the truth to you. If you don't, hey, I don't know if that's a letter about your foreclosure to your house. I take it from A to B. I got nothing to do with C. I drop off the mail. You decide to open it or not open it. That's not my concern. I've done my job. Of course we want souls saved. That's what burns in our hearts to be fruitful and do right for Christ. But we also want to see these babes to get Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. So let me play this quick video, guys, and then I'm going to close from there. This is Leonard Ravenhill called The Judgment Seat of Christ, because I think we do need to have eternity fastened on our eyeballs. We do need to see the big picture to be fruitful in the Lord. I can share a verse that brought to Yeah, bro. Kind of to answer the question I had asked earlier. Mm -hmm. It says in Second Chronicles 1.14, although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, mm -hmm. though they testified against him, they would not testify. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we have to be okay with being prophets, saying things that God is asking us to say, mm -hmm. but no one's submitting or listening to it, mm -hmm. so that when Judgment Day comes, Lord said, I try. That's I right. that prophet to you. That's right. I, if you lived a certain way, you had a test, you had, you had an opportunity to change. So mm -hmm. the Lord has that. That's right, because that, that proves the Lord righteous when he can just send you. He can say, hey, I sent all these witnesses, but you wouldn't hear me. Right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, that's what we got to do. It's not just to win a soul, but it's to be a witness. I told them, Lord, I told them. They didn't want to listen. Hey, there's nothing you know I can do about it's that. It's so frustrating sometimes, though, but it's like you have to be okay with it because, mm -hmm. again, you are, you are being sent out. And it is fulfilling righteousness mm -hmm. to do that, even if, even if they don't do anything. And the Lord says nothing that I say will never come back from the Lord. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So Amen. But it be for them or the seed in them in your ministry, too. It doesn't matter. It's, it's going to happen. That's right. Amen. So let's hear this. Let it raven help. The judgment seat of Christ. This will be down in the description box also. eternity on my eyeballs. You know, if God should stamp eternity or even judgment on our eyeballs, or if you like, on the fleshy table of our hearts, I'm quite convinced we'd be a very, very different tribe of people, God's people in the world today. We live too much in time where to earth thou. We see as other men see, we think as other men think. We invest our time as the world invests it, we invest our money. We're supposed to be a different breed of people. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs a new revelation of the majesty of God. They're all going to stand one day. Can you imagine it? At the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body. 
this is what? This is the king of kings. And he's the judge of judges. And it's the tribunal of tribunals. And there's no court of appeal after it. The verdict is final. Listen, when you see Jesus, you're not going up and say, hey, buddy, I'm glad you died for me. When you see Jesus, you'll be almost paralyzed with fear unless you have a glorified body and a glorified mind. You say, well, Mr. Raiden, I, don't, I won't be in serious trouble because, you know, I don't have a good memory. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll have one that day. In Malachi, it says that God has a book of remembrance. And I think it will do you good before you go to bed every night this week to ask God, what did you put in your book this, this, today from my life? Did you get up this morning and thank God you were pure? Huh? Can you thank him that that devilish fever he used to have for, for sniffing cocaine and drugs or something, that he brought the fetter of it? Are you really glad you're not a prostitute now? You're going to be a part of a bride of the Lamb? Are you glad he's removed from your heart covetousness and bad temper and all those creepy, horrible things that used to master you? I think sometimes we think we're going to march up and say, well, you know, Jesus, do you know how many years I served you and how many souls I won for you and how many sermons I preached for you? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, what will it be like in heaven? Well, I'll tell you what the book says he'll be like. He says his hair is as white as snow. His feet are like burnished grass. His face is like the sun in its strength. His eyes are living coals of fire. His tongue is a sharp two-edged sword. And here is John who used to lean his head on the bosom of Jesus and hear that divine heartbeat. The man that I believe knew more about Jesus than anyone else, and when he saw Jesus there on his throne in his majesty, with his face brighter than the sun, with his feet like burnished grass, with his eyes like flames of fire, with his tongue majestic and, light, and his voice like the sound of many waters, John, the man who had walked with him and talked with him for three years, says that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. What do you think you and I are going to do? We must stand at the judgment seat of Christ. You can't send your lawyer. You can't send a representative. You can't send a, send a preacher who says, well, I understand this, uh, this person who's always falling up and down and in and out and he didn't know why they were. I, I, I'll explain it to you. And the Lord says, you won't do anything of the kind. You say, ah, well, I, I'm not quite sure about this. You know, no, your memory isn't faulty. Everything you've done, every idle word you've spoken, every action, the things that I missed. We're not going to be judged just because of what we've done. We're going to be judged for why we did it. Not for the action, for the motive. What motivated your giving? So you, you'd have a plaque with your name on? Or you'd be at the top of the list for giving money? Why, why? Why? What's the motive behind it? Come on, children, every work into judgment with every secret thing. The secret archives of our hearts and lives are going to pass before. You say, well, I came this morning, my wife wanted me to come. But I don't think I'll come again. I don't like this kind of stuff. Well, friend, let me tell you lovingly, go to hell and live with all the scum of the earth. You like to drink, go with the drinkers. You like to lust, go with the prostitutes. In hell, if you're given to lust after women, you'll have that lust, but there's nothing to satisfy your lust. If you drink, you'll thirst, but there's nothing to satisfy you. You'll give a king's ransom for one drop of water. There isn't even a drop of water, never mind that precious wine you drink. Can God forgive every sin I've ever committed? I said he sure can. 
That is, if you repent of your sin and you plead for the blood of Christ and you ask for mercy, that tender Christ who went about doing good and he kissed little babies and blessed people. Now, ah, there's no there's nothing more beautiful than a little lamb. There's nothing more terrible than the wrath of the lamb. And I think we better watch this business of, you know, God loves you and God loves you and all the bumper sticker sloppy evangelism. Will you remind people of the goodness and the severity of God? Will you remind them that there's a day when mercy is cut off forever? Will you remind them that people pray in hell but nobody ever answers? It doesn't just take your sins, it takes yourself. It takes the government of your life. And it's not only true that we live in a world of bankrupt politics, we live in a world, and this is the most tragic of all, of a bankrupt church. When in God's name is the church going to open a heart again and open a mind again and see again? Can you imagine when God takes all of history and enters it? The dead, small and great, to understand before God in that awesome day. I preach out of my heart all I believe and I die for it. But say, am I just a showman? What's my, what's my secret life like? The most shattering thought I've ever had is my personal accountability to God one day. For God has not merely given us Jesus Christ, he's given us all things. And because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment. Because entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. I think before we point the finger at the world, we better turn to the church and say, look, we better all get sackcloth and ashes and humble ourselves and say, Almighty God, when I see the church in the New Testament, they didn't have stately buildings, they didn't have paid evangelists, they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have organization, they couldn't get on TV and beg, but I'll tell you what they did, they turned the world upside down. And I'm embarrassed. To be part of the church of Jesus today because I believe it's an embarrassment to a holy God. Most of our joy is clapping our hands and having a good time. And then afterwards we're talking all the drivel of the world. Oh, to be lost in him, to be consumed in him. Won't it be wonderful and say, see, those are the men who walk with Jesus. See, there's Paul. He gave his colossal intellect to God. He wrote about 14 epistles. He went over Asia Minor. He didn't sit in a jet and say, you know, how good the Lord is to me. And I, no, sorry. He was lashed and opposed 195 times. He was in weariness and fastings and painfulness and tribulation and distress and famine and peril and nakedness and sword. In tribulation amongst lost brethren. In perils of the deep. You think that man's going to get two ounces of reward for a life like that? Grace is free, but rewards are not free. People say you're talking about works. True, I am because God did. Jesus did. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If a man has to be cast away from God with his own sin and misery forever and ever, you get so near to the heart of God that you share his grief over a world and over a backslidden church that we have today. Can he share his sorrow with you? Oh, yes, you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost and get the bank balance. That's all right. If you do, God will hold you to account for it. But are you big enough to say, Lord, in this crucial hour in human history, let me fill up the sufferings of Christ. Because if you're going to get mature in God, all the dwarfs around you will criticize and sneer at you. And say so you're trying to be holier than the rest of us, eh? Huh? 
You discover this, the man who have been most heroic for God have been the man with the greatest devotional life. The only thing that will tie me in victory continually through the blood of Christ is my personal devotion to him, the Son of God. My adoration that I give him my tribute every day. It's more than my service. It's more than giving my money. That I love him and I adore him and I magnify him. I, I take him as it were by the feet. The one thing that's wrong with that world outside is it thinks it's done with Jesus Christ. It hasn't even started with him yet. Do you know why the world is poor and sick outside? Because we really don't know how to pray, that's why. I've said it many times, I say it again this morning, but no man is greater than his prayer life. Let me live with a man a while and share his prayer life, and I'll, I'll tell you what, how tall I think he is, or how majestic I think he is in God. It's going to be an awesome day. You see, there's no possible, there's no possibility of any rehearsal. And what? There's no possibility of any repetition, because again, this is the final judgment. I think again of a statement Dr. Tozer made to me once, he said, Len, you know what? He said, we'll hardly get our feet out of time into eternity and gaze on eternity to what we bow our heads in shame and humiliation and say, my God, look at all the riches there were in Jesus Christ. And I've come to the judgment seat almost a pauper. Master, forgive and inspire us anew. Banish our worldliness. Help us to ever live with eternity's values in view. Said that great man who birthed that revival, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You know, if we can't live as a different breed of people on this earth, we've no right to live here. We ought to live every day as though we come out of another world into this world with the power of that world upon us. To live and speak and move and have our being in Jesus Christ. And if we get back to a people who are really baptized with obedience, submissive to the total will of God, not concerned about human opinion, not asking for more to spend prodigally on ourselves. But say, oh God, I want these, this life of mine adjusting so I, when I stand in your awesome presence, as James says, we shall not be ashamed at his appearing. That's Leonard Ravenhill. It's called the Judgment Seat of Christ. But you see, that's what it's all about. You know, in the day of judgment, everybody is going to have to give an account for what they've done. See, all that stuff about, you know, feeling funny and this and that, that goes out the window when you're standing before the Lord. Because all he's going to want to know is, did you do what I told you? That's it. Did you do what I told you to do? And he's not going to let you go to anybody else and, Lord, you got to understand, I got bad feet, or this and that is going on. Man, he's going to want to know if you fulfilled his will. So that's why, yes, it is great to be fruitful and have Jesus Christ living in us. But I'm not going to lie to people, too, that we're not going to stand before the Lord in judgment one day because we will. You know, and that's okay because I'm going to face judgment regardless. I may as well get it right with Christ. So this is um, 1 Peter 2, guys. I'm closing with this. I'm not expecting anybody to go there. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 
So if be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, that's Jesus, ye also, speaking of us, as lively stones are built up in spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief's cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe is uh, he is precious, but unto them which, dis, which, are, which be disobedient of the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, uh, even to them uh, which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I want to close with that because it's important that we understand what it is to be fruitful and multiply. God had never recanted that statement. He always meant for it to continue, and it must continue with the gospel that we get as many as we can born to get born again and repented that they may serve Christ. So that's the message for tonight, guys. You know, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundtetrumpetministries.com. Guys, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, believe that his blood applied to your life will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Believe that he is coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Get baptized, get into his word, and share a life with Jesus Christ as the new creation, the new cre creation in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. I think we can go out from there. Thank you, Jesus. Any volunteers for prayer? All right, sounds good. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I want to thank you for this day, Lord Jesus. And I just, just want to thank you for this time, Lord God, that yes, Lord. we can once again come in into your presence, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We can get into your word, Lord God. And thank you, Lord. Our lives can and will be transformed in the name of Jesus, Lord God, and into your image. Because that's what it's all about, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is not about a religious setting, Lord Jesus, where we just hear a good message and we go back out and just look like the world, because that's not what it's about. We've got to be transformed, Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to know what it takes to walk with you, Lord God. And we've got to be like your word says, Lord Jesus. We have to count the cost. We have to see if we have sufficiency in us to do what you've called us to do, Lord Jesus Christ. Especially in today's time, Lord Jesus, where we are the minority, but if we have you, Lord God, then we are the minority. Yes, Lord. And that's how we have to walk, Lord God. We cannot question. We cannot compromise, Lord. We cannot live like the world, Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. It is to do the work of the evangelists. I know people out there say, 
today are saying, well, it's not works to salvation, but salvation brings forth good work. It brings forth good fruit, Lord Jesus. That's what it means to do the work of the evangelist, Lord God. Yes, Lord. That without compromise, you know, loose the bands off of our lips, Lord Jesus Christ, that we're going to go out and preach and teach your word, Lord Jesus Christ, wherever yes, we are, Lord God. Thank whether it be at the workplace, whether it be out in the street corner, Lord Jesus, or like that one man at the Senate House, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God, if we see people living not according to your word, Lord Jesus, they should do something to ourselves that we're not saying anything to them, Lord. We have to be like your your witness, Lord. Leonard Reagan Hill, stamp eternity on my eyeballs, Lord. What is our life, Lord Jesus Christ? It is an individual walk. It is an individual affair in our life with you, Lord God. And it starts with us. If we are your church, the Ecclesia, the called out ones. Yes. And the church is right here. It is right now. It's out in the street, Lord Jesus Christ. When we preach the word, it's wherever we are, Lord God. That's the church. Yes. It's not about a particular building or structure or whatever, Lord Jesus Christ. It's wherever we are. Thank you, Lord. And use us, Lord Jesus Christ, to clean us out, Lord. If there's anything in our life, Lord Jesus Christ, that continuously places the veil between you and us, Lord, whether it's we need to pray more, Lord Jesus Christ, whether we need to fast more, whether we need to read your word more, Lord God, whether it's turning off our phones or our tablets or just anything, Lord Jesus Christ, and spending time with you, then the world and everyone else is going to have to understand that you're first, Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. The only way that we can reach this lost world yes, is if we have you first, is if we place you first in everything that we do, Lord Jesus. Thank whether you, it's finances, friends, marriage, family, kids, whatever it is, Lord God, you come first and everything else comes second. And that's what the devil's trying to get rid of, Lord Jesus Christ, and he yes, is Lord. succeeding, Lord Jesus. But we have to take a stand right here, yes, right Lord. now, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. you be first. Yes, and if people are listening in tonight, Lord God, come upon their lives that they repent, Lord Jesus Christ, repent today. Because yes, tomorrow Lord. is not promised. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus Thank Christ, you, Jesus. for all and everything that you've done. Yes, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that with everything that's with us, we're going to bear fruit for you. We're going to make disciples for you. And we're going to give you all the praise, the glory, and honor yes, that Lord. you deserve. In Jesus you. Christ, your most holy name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. Guys, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Do not forsake your prayer closets. This is no time to go without the communion with the Lord, okay? So give yourself to Jesus while there is time. And I just want to say I love you all. Till next time, have a good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.